We're back and firing off a brand new episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast with Team USA's very own sports psychologist, Dr. Karen Kogan. What's up, Competitor Nation? Jake here, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and we are finishing up February today with a brand new episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast, talking with our very own Team USA sports psychologist, Dr. Karen Kogan, about grief, about dealing with adversity, about challenges and and failures, and and when that happens, how do we take care of our mindset? How do we take care uh, of our mental health? How do we go through the grieving process? The conversation is incredibly important because we know one thing about competing. You're not going to win every time. You're going to fail actually more often than you succeed, but it's through those failures that you learn, you grow, you get better. And Dr. Kogan today talks about the failures and experiences she deals with on a daily, weekly, annual basis with Olympians, with people that are potential Olympians that train for their entire life And then maybe they miss the cut and they don't make the Olympics. Maybe they've tried and and worked their entire life. They get to the Olympics and then they don't medal. How do you go through that grieving process? How do you make sure you're doing it in a way that takes care of your mental health and sets you up for success in the rest of your life? So today's an incredibly important conversation because for a lot of people, really over the last year plus, there's been a grieving process. There's been lost birthdays and get-togethers and friendships and friends and just loss in a, in a world of quarantine. And so what, what does that grieving process look like? What are some things that we can do to help ourselves before we have to go into that grieving process to be a friend to those going through that grieving process and continue to build, build just a stronger mental health, a, a better position in our mindset and our brain for life? And so there's a lot of value packed into today's conversation with a very important topic around mental health, around depression, around dealing with grief. And so I hope you stick around for this episode to finish out the month of February. Before we dive into the show, I want to remind you to get in touch with the show. Shoot us an email to podcast at competeeveryday.com. And as always, use the code podcast at competeeveryday.com to not only support the show, but to get 15% off any order. If you've been with us for a while, you know our inventory has been a little low the last couple weeks uh, due to all the ice storms and everything going on right now as I'm recording this in Texas. Uh, We've lost power. Uh, We've had rolling blackouts. And so getting orders out, getting production for new stock has kind of just been put on halt for the week. Um, But we're back up and running as of Monday. We're restocking all week long. Some of the favorites that you've been asking about, including the Difference Maker, the Classic Hoodies, Classic Tee, and more. So get online, use code PODCAST to get 15% off, support the show, and outfit yourself with some empowering motivational gear that's going to remind you to show up and compete today. Now, let's get into this week's important discussion with Dr. Karen Kogan. Karen, welcome to the Compete Everyday Podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to today's conversation, especially a few of the things that you and I have kind of talked about off air that I think are going to be incredibly valuable for our listeners today in their journey, a lot of them as former athletes 
they're going to be able to relate to a lot of these points when we talk about mental health, performance, mindset, you know, what works in sports a lot of times works in life. But before we get into that, I'm very intrigued by your background. I'm curious how you got to this point with the USOC. Well, I was a gymnast. That was my sport. And I competed for 10 years in gymnastics. I, um, back in the early eighties, I was on the UCLA gymnastics team. So I had a college career. I then had a pretty bad knee injury, which required three surgeries and eventually took me out of my sport. So I retired earlier than I intended to. And that brought with it a lot of psychological reactions. So I had already been interested in the field of sports psychology and that I think sealed the deal right there. But I continued on in my training. You know, I wasn't able to compete as many years as I wanted. So I kind of turned that into my my education as a sports psychologist. And then I spent many years in Denton, Texas at the University of North Texas and in private practice there. At the same time, I was working with some Olympic teams. So I was able to go to a couple of Olympic games with one of our winter sports and then eventually got this job full-time at the USOPC. We've now added a P to that. It's Olympic and Paralympic Committee. So the USOPC, uh, I've been here for more than 10 years now. And I, I love my job. I love what I do. This is what I've been wanting to do my whole career. So finally got there after a couple of other jobs along the way. I'm curious, flashing back a little bit to when you started to make the transition from athlete to student and you, you talked about those struggles. And I think all of us have those struggles because whether we like it or not, only a teeny tiny percent of athletes ever get to ride out when they ride off into the sunset, when their career ends. And for a lot of us, there there's a number of struggles from identity, you know, just having it locked into an athlete to, um, as we recently talked to someone that was a world champion open water swimmer, the gratitude piece, she didn't enjoy the process. And so she fell short of an Olympic qualifier, despite all of these things. And, and so she's like, you know, I discredited all that. So mentally, she she talked about those struggles. On your end, where were some of those bigger struggles that led you down the path of saying, I really want to figure out how I can improve my mindset for life after sports, but help others during that transition period too. Yeah, you know, the transition period is rough um, to begin with. And if it's not of your choosing, it's even more difficult. But the, the bottom line is there's an end point for every athlete in their career. They cannot compete at that level forever. And we, we all have to make that transition. I think that the good thing about sports though, is you can continue to be active and do something related to sports, even when you're not a highly competitive athlete. It's a lifelong kind of thing that you can do. And even in some sports, you can compete until into your seventies. One of the sports I work with is fencing. And there's a, you know, there's some 70, 80 year old fencers that get out there and compete at nationals every year. It's, it's really impressive. You, you can keep going on in a sport for a long time. So of course, you know, then you don't completely make a transition, but you are transitioning into a different kind of uh, focus, I think. And maybe your goals are a little bit different at that point. One of the things before we, we switch gears, really dive into the mindset that I'm just fascinated by from a, a personal sense is, is you spent a lot of your educational time. You were at UCLA, you got a doctorate, I believe at Ohio State University. Correct. Those are two schools with very historic athletic programs. And, and you can't help but think about UCLA and think about all the national championships in a number of sports and Ohio State, obviously in that same vein in a number of sports. 
What do you remember as a student there learning sports psychology while also getting to witness high level performance? I would say that kind of really set a benchmark for a lot of the work you do at the, at the USOPC now from that high level focus. Do you remember anything kind of being, I would say, struck by or aware of going from just your world of gymnastics to really more of the sports? You know, as all teenagers and early 20 year olds, I don't think I appreciated it at the time. And, um, you know, John Wooden was still around at that time and I didn't even really try to meet him. I did finally meet him when I was a professional, went back to UCLA for an event there and finally had a chance to meet him. But I, I feel like, you know, I really kind of lost out on some of the, the people that were there, some of the resources. I didn't get it. And, you know, now looking back, I see things I might've done differently. Um, and, and same thing with Ohio State. You know, I was so focused on my schooling and, and my athletic career, whatever, you know, it, it was hard to appreciate it at the time, but looking back, I see it now. Well, and I'm curious, so as you started making those transition, you moved to Denton, you were you know, a psychologist and assistant professor, you had some private practice, you worked with the Olympians. When did you say, you know what, USOPC, the Olympic world is ultimately where I wanted to be. And what kind of sets you on that path in terms of here's what I need to do or support or build to get to where that, that place I want to be? Because I'm always fascinated how we go from, you know, setting the idea to actually getting there just because sometimes it just seems like such a big jump for a lot of people, but it, it probably wasn't. It was little steps and relationships along the way. Oh, that was back in high school. I knew early on that this is where I wanted to be, but honestly, I didn't know how I was going to get here. There was not a field of sports psychology. There were not degree programs in sports psychology when I graduated from high school. It was very, a very new field. People didn't even know what it was when I said that's what I was going to do. And then as I was at UCLA, um, through those four years undergraduate, there was more awareness. And then I got a master's degree there in sports psychology. So, you know, by that time it was becoming, um, more of an understood field, but, um, so I, you know, at, at that point, I think I started to have a better sense of how I'm going to do this. And then I knew I needed to get a, a doctoral degree in psychology because we're talking about the whole athlete, not just their performance. We're talking about them as a person and, and I, I travel overseas, all, all the countries with these teams. And if there's something that goes wrong, I need to be able to help the athlete. I can't refer them to somebody else who knows more. I have to know all of it. So, you know, I had to know how to deal with crises, suicide, extreme depression, extreme anxiety. I had to know how to do all of that. And I had a sense of that early on that that was what I was gonna need to know, even though I think the field hadn't quite evolved to that point. Um, so, so that's that's kind of where it started. And then from there, I knew that it was unusual for someone just out of uh, a degree program to get a job at the USOPC. And so I had my sights on that. And, you know, when the timing was finally right and the position opened up, then I guess it's history, as they say. I love that. Well, and one of the things you just mentioned there that I think a lot of listeners might not think about when they when they hear sports psychology, when they hear some of the work that you do is the mental health side. Because we always think about how do we maximize, how do we stay mindful? How do we maximize our focus to perform at our best? But mental health is a huge piece of that because we, we honestly can't just normally shut everything off, especially if we're having struggles, if, if, if our mental health is not in a, in a healthy spot to be able to perform at our best. And so you saying that you started to see those pieces within those athletes, I, I just find fascinating 
Because it's not a conversation point, I think, a lot of sports psychology has, or at least mainstream hasn't gotten to that point yet. You see mental health, and then you see sports psychology, and you, you don't see them overlap like that. But if we think about it, high performers are very prone to depression, uh, to you know thoughts of suicide, because for a lot of high performers, whether it's sports or life, we put so much emphasis on the goal, on making the Olympics or winning the Olympics. And not everybody's going to get there. It's kind of the beauty of competition. You're, you're not guaranteed to win. You kind of wanted to focus on this area. What really drew you to that? Was there a personal experience of, of an athlete who really struggled that you said, there's a need for this in our space and I want to be the person that helps shine more light on it? Or, or what kind of sparked that angle? Well, you know, I would say over the past maybe 10, 15 years, there's a pretty large group of sports psychologists who have training both in psychology and in sports sciences. So I think we are starting to blend that a little bit better, but uh, I don't know that everybody knows that. Um, but I, I think for me, the, the thing that, that got me there was one, my own struggles. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that I was in some sort of deep depression when I had my injuries, but it really changed the path of my career. And I'm I missed out on achievements I think I could have made, you know, and we'll never know now. And that was very difficult at the time. And I don't know that I really had anybody to talk to about that. So I think my own experience was certainly one of it. Um, and, and one of the things I, I learned in graduate school is you're not going to get a full-time job as a sports psychologist right out. So why don't you find, you know, a job as a general psychologist and then do some sports psychology work in addition. And that's what I did. I went to a college counseling center and you, you know, you get every, kind of mental health issue there. So I, I just learned to appreciate people and the struggles they go through. And, and it's not difficult to see that athletes are people too and have those same kinds of struggles. So, so there's, there's really a combination of what I've done with athletes. You know, it's not just been here, let's do some mental imagery. Let's do some mindfulness. Let's get you to perform. It's more about what's going on in your life because oftentimes that gets in the way of performance. And if we're not dealing with those underlying things, all the imagery in the world and all the mindfulness in the world isn't going to get a good performance out of somebody, you know, if those distractions are too severe. So um, again, I think early on through my own experiences, through career choices, you know, I saw this athlete as a whole person. And, and then at the, the USOPC, the past, over the past few years, I think there's been a real push for athlete mental health. And, and so it was pretty easy for me to bring that expertise into those discussions and then and pushing for, you know, we just hired a director of mental health and we have a department that's being built up to address athlete mental health needs. So it's really taken off. And I, and I love that. And I want to reiterate something you said, especially for the listeners, is that it wasn't a straight line. It was, I can't do this right out of college. So where can I work and get better and help and serve people while still on the side, kind of pursuing what I really want to do until those opportunities create, which I think is so important because Sometimes we come out of the gate, we want it right now, we can't get it. A lot of people just kind of give up versus saying, well, what can I do now while still pursuing this? And so that I think that was incredibly important to hear. The other thing I'm curious about from a, a mental health standpoint and just performance side is the piece of gratitude, especially when we look at high performers such as Olympians. And, and a lot of that I know translates into life where you put four years or your entire life into trying to make the Olympics and then medal at the Olympics and only three people medal per sport. And there's a lot of that disappointment. How do we balance or, or start to balance, I should say, the, the focus of trying to get to that elite level with 
the enjoyment of the process along the way so that if we do fall short, we still can be grateful for what we've done, who we've become and the, and the progress we've made. Yeah, you know, that's a really excellent question. And, and one of the things that I discovered early on in this career path was that there was a lot more sadness and disappointment and grieving in an Olympic experience than there is that, that joy and um, like just the ecstasy of having meddled, you know, and uh, because as you say, only three people medal and only one person gets the gold medal. So sometimes even the other medalists are disappointed that yeah. they didn't quite do enough. And um, so I spend more of my time working with those who are disappointed or who, for whatever reason, didn't um, perform to their expectations or, or had a, a bad meet or a fall or whatever, you know. Um, that's where I spend most of my time. The others, they they medal, they're off to celebrate. They say, thanks for all the support and they're gone, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, um, so part of what I do with those who are struggling is, you know, th there is a grieving process and you have to allow for that. I mean, you put your whole life into this years and years and then this one competition. And for some athletes, it's, it's a matter of seconds that they compete and then they're done. And, you know, good or bad, they're done. And um, so there's, there's a grieving process that happens when that doesn't go well. And sometimes it's, it's weeks or months and um, we have to honor that and, and work with it. Um, but at the same time, through that grieving process, we're also looking at, okay, well, you know, what did you gain from the sport? What are the experiences you had that nobody else had? I mean, how many people get to travel the world and train for the Olympic games and go to world championships and do all the things that these athletes do and and I think that over time there's an appreciation for how unique their experience is and the things they've been able to do and you know some of them even get to the point where they want to give back to their their teammates or the up-and-coming ones and help them understand how do you cope with this experience because it's intense it's intense in all sorts of ways yeah and it's interesting as as you talked about that going kind of the the peaks and valleys that of the people you deal with and you focus a lot more on grief and dealing with grief and I think for a lot of people listening, the last year, we'll say, has been kind of, they probably don't know how to describe it, but there's probably some grief of, of a lot of lost experiences and times and internally mental struggle. Where do we as achievers and, and leaders know that it's a, our mental health is in jeopardy and we need help versus this is one of those just challenging times where we need to practice our skill sets and work through it. At what point do we internally need to identify, I need to go get outside help or curious for those that are supporting people that are still struggling with all the quarantine and care, COVID and everything, where do we identify in others? This is probably where someone can step in and help. Well, this past year, there's been so much grieving on so many different levels. I mean, everything from losing family members, which is probably the worst that you can think of, to um, you know, missing out on really important life events, weddings, um, graduations, you know, all those things that, that we gather for, and people haven't been able to do that. So it, it runs the range and, and you, know, you can grieve over anything. It's, nothing is too small to grieve over if it impacts you in that way. Um, so there has been a lot of grieving going on in our world, you know, not just the Olympic games and related to yeah. uh, competition, but it's just life. And, and so that's where it comes back to the, the, the whole, the entirety of the person and, and mental health. And, 
you know, in terms of when do you seek help for that? Well, you know, you don't have to have a really extreme problem to seek counseling or, or um, input from a mental health professional. You know, a lot of times it's better to do it before things are really bad, you know, where you can do some preventative work. I, I like to be in that preventative area as much as I can, you know, teaching people skills before it becomes too severe. But on the other hand, if, if you haven't been able to access that or for whatever reason haven't gotten that support, then, you know, if, if you're having trouble um, functioning in life, you know, getting up, doing the things you need to do, um, if, if you are finding yourself um, not being able to cope with things that you used to be able to cope with, if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling super anxious, then yeah, it's time to reach out to a mental health professional and uh, that person can help guide you through different strategies or maybe other resources that are available to help you get through that. So um, absolutely, there's, there's lots of different points along the way that you could ask for that kind of help. Well, and I really appreciate the fact that you said it, it doesn't have to be much. It doesn't have to be the overwhelming feeling for you to go seek help. And two, the, the importance of being preventative, the importance of, you know, my best friend back when he got married 10, 12 years ago now, he would say, yeah, my wife and I, we go to counseling two to three times a year, maybe. And he said, nothing's wrong. It's just kind of like a doctor's checkup. We go to prevent anything from boiling over or getting to that point. And just the same from our mental, we've talked about on the show, mental skills, resilience, grit, like the things that we talk about wanting, you can't just snap your fingers and magically have it. Like you have to start working toward it before you need it, which this is the same instance. Um, and, and listeners on the show know kind of my year started, our, our dog we had to put down and, and that was, you know, still six weeks in of grieving for me, but yeah. working through that process with, with people and talking about it has made it much easier than I ever would have been able to handle 10 years ago before I started trying to develop the mindset. And so it's really encouraging to hear you say that. And just to remind people that nothing has to be really wrong right now or feel like anything's wrong to go get help because life is going to be challenging. And we're going to grieve at some point along the ways and the better prepared we are for those moments, the, the more I would say resilient, we can move through them. Um, and, and so I, I really just wanted to hit on that pretty hard because mental health is, is a very important topic to you and it is to us. I mean, our tagline life is worth competing for. We're, we're all about that. And so um, I appreciate you kind of bringing some light to that. As, as we start to wrap up today, Karen, one of the things I, I love talking about with high performers and, and who you get to see and work with is we watch these Olympians on TV and, and we watch the Olympics. And we're like, wow, they, they're just so locked in, so focused. They're they dominate what they do in that sport at that time. And then life outside of it, we just expect it to automatically flip that switch. Like, oh, they're going to they're gonna crush everything because they, they're so good at downhill or they're so good at Bob's, whatever the case may be. And a lot of times, especially for some listeners that have emailed in, there's a disconnect between those skills we have in sports and those skills we have in life. And they're really the same, but we see these two different arenas and we think, well, I have to do something completely different than I would take the approach here. How do you encourage or help your athletes see that some of these skills and the mental skills, especially that they've performed and crafted and tried to perfect over the years training for the Olympics actually aid them in life outside of it or life after it? Oh, I think there's so many things. And sometimes athletes don't realize it. You know, they're transitioning into a career um, that's not 
athletics, you know, and, and they're not really sure, you know, oh, I don't have any work experience. I've been an athlete my whole life. Um, but, but we really try to hone in on the things that they gained being an athlete. So, you know, it might've been being super organized. It might've been developing a work ethic. Um, you know, it might've been traveling the world and dealing with lots of unexpected things and having to adjust quickly at the last minute. I, I mean, all the time athletes are having to do things like that. And, and so then we look at how do you, uh, how do you describe that in a job interview or how you translate that into what you're going to do next in your life? Because those skills are really worthwhile. And, you know, once they can start to see that they, oh, okay, yeah, I do have something to offer. You know, it's not just that I was an athlete, but, but these things really carry over. Um, on the flip side of that, though, I found it interesting that, you know, athletes ha have been so competitive all their lives in sports. Sometimes they have trouble turning that off. So, you know, they can't even play a board game and not be super competitive. And so then we have to look at, okay, well, do you, do you want to carry that one over, you know, or do you want to temper that just a little bit? So, you know, I, I look at it from both sides and, um, but, but for sure, there are so many useful things that athletes learn that they can they translate into the next phase of their life. And, and that's always a great conversation. I love that. I love that. Karen, I appreciate you making some time for us today and, and just talking through a lot of these topics, especially the incredibly important ones uh, around mental health with our listeners today, and hopefully just encouraging them to, to be proactive in, in watching their mental health and caring for it, as well as seeing, you know, life is a lot of times about dealing with defeat and how we deal with defeat and we move through defeat defines how we can become champions throughout our life. And so um, I really enjoyed this conversation. Where can people learn more about your work and kind of follow along with you? Well, certainly following the Olympics and we are told they are going to happen and we're full speed ahead that they are, you know, but certainly following that um, and our athletes that are preparing and, and getting ready to go to competition, you know, you'll see lots of stories coming out. So the USOPC has a website where we uh, highlight some of our athletes and what they're doing. We also are highlighting mental health. So that's, uh, it's now usopc.org and or teamusa.org. You can find some of that information there too. So that'll, that'll give you a place to start at least. But thanks so much for having me. It's been great talking about all this. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To listen to past episodes, be sure to check out podcast.competeveryday.com. And to get in touch with the show, email us at podcast at competeeveryday.com. Everybody wants to win, but not everybody's willing to compete for that victory. Since you're one who will, show up today and win. We're cheering for you.